your word rightly divided. And so, Father, we ask now uh, that you bless our lesson this morning. Help us to study what you have for us. Father, help us, uh, Lord, to see your word clearly. Father, be encouraged by your word and also convicted. And so, Lord, we ask now that uh, we also lift up these prayer requests. Lord, those that are sick, those with cancer, Lord, those with lost loved ones, those with uh, folks who have died, Lord, we lift all these things up to you. Father, you walked among us, you felt how we felt, and you know the needs. You are a compassionate, loving Father. And so, Father, we just ask now that your will be done, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Psalm 107 this morning. This morning's lesson is thanks for redemption, giving thanks for redemption. We're going to go through the whole chapter, so normally I like to read all the verses and go back and study, but we're just going to kind of go verse by verse just for time's sake this morning, and we'll try to get through the whole chapter. So Psalm 107, we'll read the first three verses, and then we'll begin our lesson. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 1, says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Here, the writer of this psalm is, is talking about uh, how God has delivered the nation of Israel from all of its enemies. The enemy was encamped all the way around Israel. Uh, and if you notice, it, it gives us this, it, this picture of God's redemption, how he saves us out of the hand of the enemy. The enemy encamps all around us. And so it's believed that this psalm uh, was written more for a psalm of worship, more for a psalm particularly to the Jews who returned from Babylon uh, to rebuild their city, rebuild their wall, rebuild their nation. And the key phrase there is in verse number two, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those who have been redeemed are the ones who ought to be praising God. Amen. Those are the ones who have been saved by God's wonderful grace, by his loving mercy, ought to be the ones to give him praise. And so that is what Israel uh, and the writer of this psalm is doing. They're giving thanks to God for his redemption, not only just in the physical sense, but also in the spiritual sense as well. And so uh, there's a goodness in this lesson. There is a love, there's a praise, there is a adoration uh, in this theme of the song, as it should be. And so the theme of the life of the one who has tasted the sweetness of God ought to be the ones praising God. And so as we look this morning, you're going to, we're going to see four illustrations that this writer gives us, four illustrations of redemption. The first is in verses 4 through 9. We're going to see redemptions like a lost group of people finding a safe city, being lost in the wilderness. Verses 10 through 15, we're going to see God's redemption is like a captive prisoner being set free. In verses 17 through 22, you'll see God's redemption is like a sick person finding health again. And then finally, in verses 23 through 32, God's redemption is like a sailor being rescued from a storm. And so this is a very theological picture we're going to see this morning uh, in the Old Testament. You know, oftentimes as a preacher, people say, well, how do people get saved in the Old Testament? They got saved in the Old Testament just like they did in the New Testament by God's grace. Uh, they got saved the same way we get saved today. Uh, they come to salvation the same way when they realize they're lost 
and God has put that on their heart, and they have come to the realization that they were going to die and be doomed forever, and God saves their soul. And so you're going to see in these four sections here their predicament. These are dangerous predicaments that these people are in. And then you're going to see this petition to God for their deliverance. And then you're going to see a pardon in this mercy. And then you're going to see uh, uh, the praise which comes from a result of that. So let's uh, continue in verses 4 and 5 with the first picture of being lost in the wilderness. Verse 4 and 5 says, They wandered into the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. So obviously this kind of depicts the 40-year wandering in the wilderness by uh, the Israelites when they come out of Egypt. Uh, it's, it could also be described by many lost folks uh, wandering in the life of sin. There, there, it's just this aimless view. There's just this constant wandering, no purpose, no direction, just a continuous wandering. And so we're going to see that throughout this psalm. We're going to see the, the physical side of Israel, and then we're going to see the spiritual side of it as well. And so it describes this lost soul. It describes Israel in the wilderness, uh, looking for uh, in the wilderness. And I'm kind of an open Sunday school teacher. Is that okay? Where we have a group discussion, a little back and forth. Um, so when you're in a wilderness, what are you looking for? When you're, in, when you're just lost in a wilderness, what are some things you must find? Water, food, shelter, one more. Clothing, right? So those are the four essential basic needs. And so when you're in the wilderness, you've got to be able to sustain yourself. You've got to protect yourself from the elements. You've got to keep yourself warm. You've got to clothe yourself. You've you got to have at least water to survive any period of time. And you've got to have food for strength. And so you see that on the physical side. When you're wandering in the wilderness, you're looking for those things. It's the same way on the spiritual side. You're looking for that same thing. And so that leads to the petition, the, the request. Look at verse number 6. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And you know, that's easy to do. Whenever folks uh, are in trouble, one of the first places they go is to prayer. We saw that at the Bengals game several weeks ago, right? The whole nation bows down in prayer. Isn't it funny, though, those are the same people that wouldn't let Tim Tebow bow down and give thanks to God in the end zone. Those are the same people that says, we have no room for Christ or religion. But yet when there's trouble, you're quick and all those stereotypes leave because we all know the truth of where to get the answer from. And so there's this petition, this cry uh, for, for um, Israel. It was this cry from slavery. They cry out in this, this bondage that they're in. And, the, and then they go into the wilderness and they cry out to the Lord to, to sustain them, right? And so uh, when, they, when people recognize their failure uh, to, to, to survive and, and their failures in this life spiritually as well, they look to God. And so uh, we come here. Uh, for this desperate sense of need, verses number 6 and 7 ends with this. And after they cried in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses, and he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. The Hebrews there for that word right way means a straight way. It literally means a road without any bumps, a straight road. 
a clear road. There's, there's not branches or vines hanging down on the way. There's no big turns. There's no dips. There's no hills to climb. And so when he says there, and he led them forth by the right way, meaning that the, the, the gospel of grace, when God saves, when God delivers, he does it fully, completely. There, there's no uh, uh, turning over a new leaf. There's no uh, a progression, so to speak, of the heart changing. Now, there's a progression in, in works and fruit, uh, but there's no, there's no, God doesn't take time to renew a heart. It's a renewed heart. You're a new creature in Christ. And so that's the same way uh, uh, here. And so when we see the struggles of all this life and, and nothing compares to the agony of hell and separated from God forever. And, and so the sinner on the spiritual side of this knows that when you cry out, he rescues them. He saves them by mercy and grace. And it's uh, all through him and his work alone that does that. And so all we have to do, uh, Scripture says, is to cry out, and he delivers them, Scripture says. Uh, and that leads to praise. At least it should lead to praise. Look at verses 8 and 9. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. If you, have a, if you, if you take notes or you highlight or mark in your Bible, highlight that or mark that down, because that is a petition, that's a request. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. So that's the idea when you're lost in the wilderness, you're looking for these things to sustain you. It's the same way with the lostness of your soul. You're looking for a satisfaction. You're looking for that water that you'll never thirst again. You're looking for that bread of life. You're, you're looking for that shelter from the storm, uh, the one who protects you uh, from that penalty of sin. And that ought to lead to praise. And that's why the psalmist says, oh, that men would praise. It's a request. Praise the Lord for what he has done for you. What more could you thank God for? So our first illustration was this lost in the wilderness. Secondly, it's a picture of being locked in prison. Look at verse 10. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. Now, oftentimes, specifically during Bible times, whenever someone was locked in a prison, it's not like we see in the Western world where you have lights and television and heat and three hot meals a day and you get presents on Christmas and, and things like that. Uh, being in prison in those days, you were often in a dungeon. You were often buried in a pit. You were often uh, uh, put away. You were not well tended to. You didn't have fresh water to drink. You, you didn't have good food to eat. And you didn't have this wreck time and this time out and all these things that we, we have today in the modern world. Uh, so we read here in verse number 10 uh, that such as sit in darkness. That's all they did. They were shackled down in irons and left in darkness. Uh, um, and it says, in the shadow of death. Literally, death was looming. They could die of anything. They could die of sickness. They could die of hypothermia, being cold. They could die. There was always this potential of this death looming around them. And then he says, being bound in affliction and iron. So here's this picture of this dungeon and this darkness. People in those kinds of places, again, died from just the filth, chained in these irons that created tremendous suffering. And then verse 11, 12 says, and here's the key, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned uh, the counsel of the Most High, 
Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. The sinner not only looked at, at their life and, and their lostness in the wilderness, uh, the hunger and the thirst, but the lost one also understands that they're in prison as a result of violation, of rebellion against God's word, uh, especially when you look at the physical side there, when Israel was in Egypt, when Israel was in Babylon, the experience was like a prison. They were not free to go where they wanted to go. They were slaves in a, in a foreign land. They were forced to worship false idols, and, and they did these things that uh, God's word clearly told them that they ought not be doing. They, they had to eat what was around, and they could not go by their dietary laws. They They could not make the sacrifices. They were in this pagan land. And what was the reason? Verse 11, because they rebelled against the words of God. So in the physical sense, you see how God uh, judges a nation, judges the nation Israel for violating the very words of God. And it's the same way in the spiritual sense. Uh, uh, God judges uh, um, uh, the sin in one's life because of their rebellion against the word. And so here we have this Filthy dungeon, smelly, this death row awaiting execution from their conditions without light, without hope. And that is the way the lost soul is. It is locked in this dirty, damp, uh, dark dungeon waiting for death, that eternal death in hell. And in the same way, the sinner has to come to recognition of this. You, you, you have to come to this realization that you've rebelled against God and that they were in this prison of their own sin. And that's only by when the light of the glorious gospel enters and pierces the dark soul of man. And that leads then to the petition. When they realize, when we were lost and we realized we were lost, when God shined that light and that knowledge into our mind and we realized we were lost and we realized that we were undone and that our sin was going to take us to this hell and that God was going to save us. Look at verse 13a. That leads to this petition. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. Are we noticing a theme here? Crying to the Lord in trouble. And scripture says, and he saved them out of their distresses. He saved them out of their distresses. That's where the sinner has to come. They have to come to that point when they realize that they are in trouble. It's the same as verse six there. It's the same exact pattern. And then you go from this petition to the pardon at the end of verse 13. He saves them. Scripture says their immediate reaction, uh, that's the immediate reaction from God. I I love the fact that that our God, who is, I I get this picture, this idea that he's just this loving God from the foundation of the world. He's just eager to forgive. He's eager to move on our behalf if we just cry out to him. It says there, and immediately, the idea is there, immediately he saves them out of their distresses. That's the idea when we get saved. There's an immediate salvation. There's an immediate uh, uh, forgiveness. There's no uh, overtime. Well, if you know you do this, this, and this, you know, you're on a probationary period. Uh, No, it's an immediate salvation. And Jesus said it this way, he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So he broke their bands of chains. He broke them asunder. He breaks them into pieces. That's the sinner's chains. When those chains are broken, they can never be bound again. Uh, They're free from that sin. Uh, And the prisoner is set free uh, and out of that dungeon into God's glorious light. And then the psalmist pleads again, verse 15 and 16, 
Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Okay, if you're taking notes, if you're highlighting, if you're marking, mark that again. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. For what? What does it say? For His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. It means He breaks those chains of bondage in pieces. And what God breaks, no one can put back together. What God joins, no one can separate. And so He breaks these chains of bondage, of sin, and never to be bound in sin again. And then we've been joined by grace, never to be able to be broken. And so... The, the, the writer here of Psalm keeps writing, oh, that men, it's a petition. Oh, that men would praise him. Why do we need to be reminded to praise him? If we've been given this glorious gospel of grace, and we've received that grace, and we've been given the blessing of God and this hope of salvation, why do we need to praise Why do we need to be reminded to praise him? Anybody? Go ahead. We quickly, why do we quickly forget? Why do you think? Because we're human. It's our fallen depravity, isn't it? Why do we have Christmas marked on the calendar, right? Because over time, we probably forget. Why do we have our anniversaries written down the calendar, right? Because we probably forget. I'll give you a good example. I get kidney stones almost every year. Almost every year. And you know what the doctor says? You need to drink more water, brother. We've been drinking those teas and coffees and soda pops, right? And, man, I'll be in tremendous pain. I have to go to the hospital. And, and, and just uncontrollable pain. I mean, I, I can't even react. My eyes are constantly closed. I don't even realize what I'm doing. I'm kind of out of my mind. I'm sweating. I'm sick to my stomach. It is, I mean, it's terrible, terrible pain. And right after I pass that stone, I go, I'm changing my ways. I will eat healthy because obviously I'm not a big healthy eater, okay? I will drink all the water I can. I'll eat all the fruits and vegetables I'm supposed to have. I'll never eat anything again. And guess what happens about three months later? How soon I forget. Drinking them soda pops, drinking that coffee, right? And then I'm reminded, hey, that kidney stone's coming back. We have to be reminded, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful work. That's why we come to church on Sunday. We come to gather to remind each other because we've been out in the filth of the world. We've been wading through the sewage, literally, of the world, and we come in and remind each other, yes, we have that hope. We sing the song. That, I'm starting to preach this morning. I'm sorry. But we come in and, and we have this hope, and we, we sing praises unto the Lord, and we're reminding each other of God's goodness and his grace and his mercy. And so Israel and the sinner have been found. They've been lost in a wilderness. They've been locked in a prison. Thirdly, they're dying of sickness. Look at verses 17 and 18. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. He's saying that these people were so sick, they couldn't eat. They had no appetite. They were in their deathbed, essentially. This is a picture, again, of the lost soul's condition. It could have been Israel and Babylon. It's also the imagery of sinners. They are sick with a deadly, incurable disease called sin. And it, only takes a, it can only take a miraculous intervention for a cure. And it's hopeless on their own. 
You can spend all the money in the world and go to all the doctors and have all the tests run and try all the new medications and eat every plant and pop every pill. But unless there's a miraculous intervention, there is no cure for this sin. It's hopeless on their own. And when a sinner comes to this realization, verse 19 and 20, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. Are we noticing the pattern this morning? And he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them. And he delivered them from their destruction. So here again, these lost souls, these imprisoned, these dying people crying out to God who eagerly hears them and he saves them. And if you have been studying with us, uh, or if you've been studying uh, uh, the gospel at all, we're studying on Wednesday night in the book of Mark. Uh, this is just the opposite from the way the Pharisees reviewed their religion. Uh, the, the, they thought the kingdom belonged to the people who were self-righteous. But God clearly offers pardons to the people who recognized just how sinful they are. And you only come to that realization when the gospel pierces the darkness of their heart. It's not about how good they are. It's about God pardoning and leading them to salvation. And then after that comes this praise again. Verse 21, if you're ready to highlight and mark things down. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Again, another plea. Another plea. He's saying, please don't be thankless. Please don't be a... You know what I can't stand? When you give children a gift... They're so excited about it, and they just take off and run with it. You know what I like to hear? Oh, thank you, right? Oh, this is awesome. I've always wanted, you know, these things. That's the idea. When you, when you give somebody something and there's no thanks, what do you think about that person? Selfish. Only care about themselves. Oh, this is mine. I got it. You gave it to me. Cool. Right? It's self. When you look at a child, you're like, man, that kid's a brat. When you look at an adult, you go, wow, that's rude. Right? So how do we go about with God when God has given us such this marvelous grace and there's a plea here, oh, that men would praise the Lord. Why? Because we were lost in the wilderness. Why? Because we were bound in chains and iron in a dungeon. Why? Because we were sick unto death. And then finally, a life threatened by a storm. Look at verse 23. I'm sorry, let's, let's, be, let's finish verse 22. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Now verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. These were the kind of things that people in the ancient world experienced. And this happened all the time. Terrible sand, uh, sandstorms caused people to be lost. Prisons abounded with filth and death. Sickness was everywhere. Epidemics, deadly plagues. Uh, y'all thought COVID was bad. I'm just saying. Uh, and all this, because so much transportation was done on the sea, the people really understood what this meant. Here in verse 24, when he talks about the sea, they see these works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Verse 25, for he commands and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves thereof. Um, 
Read verse 26 also. They mount up to the heaven. He's talking about the waves and the sea. They go down again into the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. This is the waves of a surging sea, right? We get the idea. Uh, these waves come up, and if you if you uh, you know read through the Gospels, you always hear about the storms that that uh, Jesus walked on the water, and and the storm when he was asleep on a pillow. These storms, these great seas, would come up so much they'd come over the ship that they would fill the ships up, and then again the seas would after the wave would come over, then you've got the bowing down of the wave, and they'd go to great depths in the walls of the seas. This great uh, hurricane-like wind and uh, seas. And then verse 27 says, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits end. Anybody ever here been at their wits end before? Amen. I have 10 children. I'm just saying. Been at their wits end. This again is their predicament. This is their trouble. This is uh, where their danger is. And it's, it says it's like this storm, this drowning, this fear. I mean, I'm a good swimmer, okay? But I would not want to be in a storm like this. Anybody here like it? You know, you go on a cruise, right? And the, I've never been on one, but but you can go on a cruise and they say the ships are real calm, you know? And every now and then you feel a little wave. I mean, it's got to be a pretty powerful little wave there to get you moving. But we're talking about fear of drowning. We're talking about these waves coming over and filling in and crashing. It's this storm at sea, like... like, like um, uh, and it definitely you know, relates to Israel's captivity in Babylon. It was like that. That's the, the metaphor there that they felt like they could not get out. They feel like they were being drowned. They're being killed off. They're being put in slavery. But it's also on the spiritual side, like this great sea, uh, uh, this absolutely frightening imagery. You see that in the story of Jonah, right? They're afraid, and Jonah says, well, throw me off. Uh, and, and the storm stops then, this violent storm with this wind and waves. And they are literally melting, Scripture says. They reel to and fro, stagger like drunken men. They're not able to stand upright because of these waves. They're at their wits' end. They are literally melting because of their trouble. It ought to be the heart of the lost person. To realize the magnitude and the power of judgment of God. That that is how powerful and how scary it ought to be when you face God and your lostness and your sin. And oftentimes when we're saved and we've been in church a while and we, we, we go through this life and we've been to uh, you know, every church convention and every meeting and, and we're close to the Lord, but we often forget just the magnitude of our salvation and what it brought us from, what it delivered us from. And so the idea here is that they are just trying to get uh, uh, through this storm and not drown. That's how the lost person lives every single day, trying not to drown in this life. They are just waiting for spiritual death, and heaven is their safe port. Heaven is the rescue. Heaven is dry land. Heaven is the lighthouse. But out of the middle of this great lake or this great ocean, it can't be reached. They can paddle all day. They can't sail because of the powerful winds, but, but they can't jump out and swim. To be in this great lake, to be in, this, to be in the middle of, the, of this great ocean and the great waves and sea and to know that they're a safe harbor, but you can't get there on your own. They will drown. It's the violence of it. It's the uncertainty of it. It's the depression of life. Why is our world and our nation acting as crazy as it is? 
because of the hardened hearts of generation of generation of removing God from our everyday life. It's the, it's the, it's the uh, uh, taking back of what once was a principled foundation in this nation to rely on the word of God. We read at the beginning of our text, why were they judged? Because they quit listening to the words of God. So when you remove that when from one generation after the next, we look in our world today and we see what lost people actually do. They are drowning in depression. They're drowning in disappointments. They're wandering aimlessly in the desert. They're sick and dying. They're chained and bound to the sin. They're in the middle of an ocean in a great storm. So again, here comes the petition. Look at verse 28. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are Still, if there ever was a question about God's willing to save, of God's capability to save, if there's ever a question about what God's loving, tender kindness and mercy looks like, I couldn't see it any better than this. Because the petition, no one who's lost wakes up one day and says, you know what, I ought to get saved today. No one ever wakes up and says, you know what, I'm going to go to that church down there and I'm going to give my life to the Lord. No one says that. There's this drawing. There's this realization by the gospel. The gospel uh, goes in and pierces the heart of man, and they realize their lostness and the sin, and this is what the lost soul struggles with. And then there's this petition when they realize that, Lord, save me from this, and he saves them. He's always answering that prayer. Look at verse 29 and 30. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. Talking about those waves. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. He brings them to that dry land. He brings them to that safety. He brings them to that haven. For us, the lost in the wilderness, the imprisoned, the sick and the dying, the fearful, the storms of life, that is all required in order for the Lord to 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 save from. That is what all people go through uh, until the Lord saves them. That's it. And Scripture says, and He saves them. And I think people may have thought that people were saved in the Old Testament by some other way. Well, they had to give these sacrifices. They had to do these things. No, it's always been about grace. It's always been about the realization of their lostness. It's always been about that we are not worthy of God's love and grace and adoration. It's the humbleness of the heart It was a matter of the sinner recognizing their condition, recognizing that they were on the brink of death, recognizing that they had no strength and no ability to solve their own problems, no ability to to get to that safe haven on their own. That'd be like being in that great hurricane saying, you know, if I just row hard enough, I could get there. If I could just sail and catch the right wind, I could get there. If I just wear this life jacket and I just do these things, I can get out of this storm on my own. How foolish of a thought. God's law is no way to earn salvation. That's the Old Testament view. They they couldn't get themselves out of the wilderness, out of this prison. They couldn't recover from their own sickness. They could not recover from this storm. And as a result of it, they cried out to God over and over and over again. And so the psalmist says in verse 31 and 32, Oh, 
that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. We've got to be reminded of just what we've been saved from. We've got to be reminded of what it's like to be lost and, and what the work of God did in our lives. You know what ought to happen every time we gather together in the church? What ought to happen? I read it. Oh, we're done. It's you underlined it. We ought to praise the Lord. Why? What are we praising him for? I had you underlined it. For his goodness. What else? His wonderful works. What else? His salvation. Saving us from that great sea, from that imprisonment, from that, from that sickness, from that wandering aimlessly in life. We ought to be thanking God for his redemption. Day after day, week after week, we ought to be thanking him. When an unbeliever walks into a church, they ought to be so overwhelmed with joy when they come in here because they see our gratitude. They see us worshiping God. They see us glorifying God. People outside these walls ought to be wondering what's going on on the inside. God deserves our praise. He deserves our gratitude and thankfulness for his salvation of our souls. We want people on the outside to know what's going on on the inside. And listen, yes, that's the four walls of this church, this church building, I should say. But you know what ought to be more? well-pronounced, worshiping God where people can see us on the outside of what's going on on the inside. You want to know why sometimes we don't worship like we ought to? Because there's nothing going on on the inside. We need to be reminded, oh, that men would praise him, not just in the congregation of coming together. That ought to be where, where uh, it all accumulates to, where the climax of our praise ought to be, but it ought to be on our daily lives. It ought to be in our daily lives. We want people on the outside to know what's going on on the inside because the people that come here ought to be thrilled and excited and blessed and full of joy and gratitude because of what they see. And so we see again, verse number one, two, and three. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. Why? Because his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. The enemy is all around. Just like Israel, they had the Babylonians, they had the Assyrians, they had Syria itself. They had enemies encamped all around them. And they often would, would, would get real close to the Lord. And they'd get real close and, and they would be uh, reading his word and they'd be uh, 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 preaching his word essentially. And they would be real close to the Lord. And then all of a sudden they start drifting away and they start, things are going good and there's a lot of blessing in the land. They start drifting away. Next thing you know, they're they're worshiping idols and Baal worship enters in and they're, and they're doing immoral things they ought not to be doing. And the Lord would have to send judgment. Why would the Lord send judgment? It's because he's this God who goes, no, you're going to do things my way. Why does he bring judgment? To remind them. Oh, that men would praise them. We live in a nation today where we've been given so many blessings for years and years and years. Listen, 
if God doesn't bring a wake-up call, we're going to see judgment. Why? To remind us, oh, that men would praise Him. Oh, that men would praise Him. It says He gathered them out of the lands from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south. The enemy is all around. Listen, God will save every tribe out of every nation, out of every tongue, out of every race, out of every people group, through any division or label this world can give. God can save and pull people from anywhere in the world. He can redeem them from any situation and from any life. That is the redemption that our God offers. So that's all I have for you this morning. Any questions or comments, concerns, any mopes, gripes, or complaints? Usually there's more of those, amen? All right, well, I'm done a little bit early. I'm not sure what time you guys normally dismiss. I've got 1041. Right about that time? All right, well, let's dismiss in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your loving grace, your loving kindness, your loving mercy. Lord, that we were these lost sinners, Lord, that are wandering aimlessly in the world, dying in a prison, dying with sickness, in this great storm of life, drowning. And Father, your word teaches us clearly that when the gospel is pierced into our hearts and we realize the magnitude of our sin and we call out for salvation, you save. And Father, you don't just save in a process, you save completely wholeheartedly. You bring us to that safe haven. You deliver us from that wilderness. You miraculously set us free from those bonds. You, you save us from that death and bring us back to health. And you, you calm the storm and bring us to that safe haven. So Lord, help us as the psalmist reminds us so many times. Father, help us to praise you this morning. Help us to not just see it here on Sunday morning, Father, but on Monday on Tuesday, when we're out in the world, that, that people see something on us that's coming from the inside, this praise and gratitude. We need to be reminded just what we were saved from. So, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your redemption. When you didn't have to save us, you chose to do so. So we give you the honor and the glory and the praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.